Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Happy Saturday. I wasn't expecting that. That kind of made oh, okay. me nervous. <laughs> Good evening. Welcome to All the Things, the show where we discuss all things related to God, life, and the Bible. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And helping us out on the show today is, as always, the one and only Bob Bontrager. Professional button pusher. That's Woo-hoo. him. Thank you for the buttons. It's not just pushing them, it's knowing when to push them and what sequence. That's what makes him a professional. Oh, yeah. I just push them all at the same time. I, I like buttons, <laughs> especially if they glitter. You know? <laughs> Anything with glitter, you're going to be. Anything with glitter. You're down for that. I am not. I'm not sad by it. So we want to invite you to join us on the live chat uh, over on YouTube or on Facebook and um, interact with us uh, over at the chat and join the conversation and Always support the show. Supporting the show is very important. Support it. You can share the show, first of all. So send it out to your friends. Put it out on on the public page or send it in a DM if you're more on that secret level. Um, But that helps us overcome a lot of the shadow shadow banning. banning And it it forces the artificial intelligence to push our content out. So the shares, likes, comments... All that stuff is super important. That is a very practical way that you can help support the ministry. Yes. And if you're on YouTube, go ahead and hit that little bell and subscribe to our channel. Um, And yeah, make sure you're, you're, you're in the know with all that's happening with all the things. Another thing you can do to support the ministry is uh, support each of our individual ministries. Go over to Center for Biblical Unity and Theology Mom, like and follow the page. Buy a shirt from us, uh, f- uh, support Center for Biblical Unity. $5 of every purchase goes to help support CFBU. And you can also support us through our family's clothing shop, Family yes. 210. So you can go to Family 210 on Teespring. Uh, tonight's logo, this is probably one of my favorite designs. I have that shirt yeah. in red. So I love it. It's the uh, being raised from the dead, the cross and the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Signs there really of life. is no life. Signs of without life. Without the cross. That's right. Yes. So that's a very practical way to help support us directly as a family um, in what we do. So, hey, you know what? We also want to let people know about the live stream that I did on Thursday oh, yeah. with Dr. Tim Stratton from Free Thinking Ministries. Yes. And he's also with Maven and yes. our friends there. So last week you did a live stream with our friend Elizabeth about talking to younger children about critical race theory. This was teens and tweens. Yes. This week we talked about how do we have these conversations with teens and tweens? What should parents watch out for? And, you know, how is it kind of coming in through curriculum? What do we need to be aware of? Yeah. And he, Tim is a a former youth pastor. He's a doctor, um, doctor of philosophy, I believe. Yeah. But I say, check it out if you haven't seen it. Yeah. So it's over on the center for biblical unity, Facebook and Facebook and YouTube page. Uh, Tim brought a lot of really great practical wisdom. So you're going to definitely want to make some time. If you got teens and tweens in your life, parents, grandparents, youth leaders, youth leaders, go check out that vital content. Okay. You know what I heard this week? What? <laughs> I, I, I thought, I totally thought it was the Babylon B. Okay. In all honesty, but 
there's a church, it's an Anglican church, that they're encouraging their congregation to give up whiteness for Lent. Mm. Mm. No, and I listened to the sermon and I thought, wow. I thought it was a Babylon B. So I was like, okay, I got to know. Is this real? What is this? So I listened to the sermon and it's all about whiteness and encouraging people to white people to repent of their whiteness. And they had a midweek study about it, like a lecturer. They had homework about it and they're doing it all for Lent. And it's not a Babylon B article. It's, I just had all kinds of questions. Like when the priest has the part of the liturgy where they absolve people from their sins, like, do they absolve them of the sin of whiteness? No, like, no, they that don't. Work? Let's just be honest. Some are saved by grace, and I guess some are saved by race. Ooh. I have no idea. Like honestly, like it makes you ask the question: Are we saved by race, or are we saved by it grace? It just made me so sad. And I know that mm-hmm. whiteness is not the same thing as white skin. So I want to let all the, the people out there know that I know the difference. I know what whiteness is. It's a, it's a cultural mindset. It's a framework and mm-hmm. all of that. I know exactly what it is, but even then, Unless it's like, you talk about whiteness as property, but see, nobody wants to talk about that part. You always bring up that annoying point. I know. We won't talk about it. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, we aren't just called to like repent from, you know, certain ideologies and frameworks. Let me highlight that. Like, how are we talking about repentance as an overall concept and, and the condition of our heart and how we live out our daily lives? Well, you know, it's 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 what I call the new legalism mm-hmm. of like, well, now these are the sins. And I my theory about all of this is that, you know, racism as a sin of of ethnic improper ethnic pride and favoritism and hate in your heart, partiality. Mm -hmm. These are all the things that kind of combine together to form what we call in our modern context, racism. But I look at this whole like repenting of whiteness and and all of this stuff is like these hedge laws. I call them hedge laws that are supposed to help you not commit that core sin of racism. You know, it's like, well, one thing is biblical and a whole bunch of other things are just extra biblical mm-hmm. and that's why i call it the new legalism mm-hmm. of well if you're really gonna be i'm gonna be extra saved yeah extra saved mm-hmm. then i gotta follow all these extra non-biblical standards yeah wow and extra saved. it's exhausting yeah so I guess it's you okay. and me would be on the cusp of borderline salvation well i think you're white adjacent i am white adjacent is your <laughs> official term i might not I would be like the lukewarm. Yeah. I would be lukewarm. Just spat out. Yeah. It's so, <laughs> so sad. You know, and I'm I'm just going to stop. But if you do want to pay reparations, my email stop, address. Stop saying like, that. Stop. Stop <laughs> saying that. All Sorry, right. guys. Okay. Some things, you know what, though? In re- some should things, we even be laughing at this? We this, should not. This it's, it's really sad because some people uphold this as a biblical worldview. I know. And yet, if you don't laugh about some things, you are always going to be serious. And then you're going to have those sad wrinkles because you're like too serious about everything. Nobody needs that. Well, I think there's some, there's actually a scriptural warrant for kind of um, poking a little fun at a what I would call a secular framework, pagan ideology. Um, you know, Elijah does that pretty well on Mount Carmel and poking some fun at the prophets of Baal. And you so know, I think that there's some, sometimes, you is know. Is he the one who had the children turned into bears? I mean, or, or, or had the bear, the bear eat the kids? You guys, I'm not yet. I'm only borderline there. I've had like two classes. Are you really saved? Rem- <laughs> White adjacent. Um, okay, so remember the the guy and he had. Yeah, I don't know if that's Elijah or Elisha. 
eaten by the bear? Why are we going down this path? Because I would have you eaten by a bear if you told me to repent of my blackness. Oh. That's wrong. I know. Ooh, pray for me, y'all. All right, let's get our guest on. So, oh, we have to introduce her because right, I'm you, so excited. All right, introduce so, her. We went, we spoke and hosted the Women in Apologetics Conference this year, just a In couple January. weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. January, month and a half ago. And I was like, I don't know what breakout I'm going to go to. Da, 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 da. And so I randomly chose to go to Christina Caramo's breakout. I had no idea what I was in store for. You didn't know who she was? I had no, I did not know. I was like, what? Who so is this? She, she, she spoke on truth and how we in the body of Christ need to be speaking truth. And, and I mean, she spoke truth and convicted my heart. And I feel like I speak truth a lot. But I was like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, you're oh, walking around ugly. the house with your little headphones yes. on. You're like, oh, yes. Ooh, like, wait ooh. a minute. And I'm like, what is going Don't on? Don't talk to me because I, I need to hear every <laughs> word of this. It was fire. It was so good. And from that point on, I was like, we got to have her on. Got to have her on. Like, I, I don't know who she is. I don't, I don't know what, what what her mama do. I don't know what she do on the <laughs> side. We need to got to we got to have her on. All right. And so, yes, we're going to talk about speaking truth to cancel culture. Because there's a lot of fear out there. Like people, we had a lot of letters from from people who are like, well, I'm so afraid of speaking up. If I say up. this. I say this, something will happen. And people will be upset. Mm-hmm. And, and so kind of trying to begin to speak into that a little bit. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's get her on. Let's do it. All right. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me on. I will say like the entire time you guys were doing your intro, I was cracking up. (laughs) (laughs) And listen, don't feel bad for laughing at stuff because I get in trouble for this all the time. Laughing at things I'm not supposed to. It's just so ridiculous. Right. It It really is. It really is. But I feel like you might be in better company because you're now you're sitting with two black women. (laughs) My my credit score just went up. Girl. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. I got you. No, it's wrong. Okay, so let's jump in. Please tell us about yourself. What are you doing? Who are you in case no one knows? Um, Yeah, just fill us in. Yeah, so my name's Christina Caramo. I'm actually, I'm a recent, gra- I'm a Christian apologist by title because I'm a recent graduate of Viola University. Congratulations. And, oh my God, thanks. Yeah, so I, I got my master's in Christian apologetics and it was kind of interesting that I was not interested in going into ministry. That was not what I was looking to do with my life at all, but God had put it on my heart that uh, this was something I was to go into and I wasn't quite sure But as I began to observe the world around me, I'm a millennial and I always laugh and it's really not funny, but it's just ridiculous. As I say, I laugh at things that are absurd, not necessarily because they're comedic in nature, but my generation is just really a hot mess. They have no interest in living for God. Everyone is really on their, they have no interest to glorify God. It's just everything is about me and what I want to do. And I began to observe how it was giving their life so many problems. And even my own, I was like a prodigal child, if you will. I was one of those people who was raised Christian. And then, you know, you go off to college and it's like, woohoo, you know, but then you, you come to your senses and realize, okay, wow, I need to really reevaluate how I live my life. But unfortunately, a lot of my peers, that, that didn't happen. And then I began to observe how people were operating in their lives. And then I came to the conclusion, like all of these problems we're facing is because of rebellion against God. If we would simply listen to what God told us about how to govern our lives, many of these problems would be negated. That's not to say that we're going to have 
perfect lives or wonderful lives. I don't believe that necessarily if I do the right thing, God will give me stuff. That's not, not necessarily saying pain and suffering is a part of the human existence. We're in a fallen existence. So we're going to have pain. We're going to have sadness that's inescapable. However, we can make things worse when we rebel and function outside of how he told us to. And, and God puts stipulations on us, one, because God is king of the universe. He tell us what to do and we have to obey, but also it's for our long-term best interests. And so I begin to observe the world around me and start to look at ideologies and philosophies of how the people were thinking and living. I realized, oh, okay, this doesn't make sense. And I start to realize the logic that exists in the Christian worldview. And so, uh, you know, I got into apologetics and I teach as well. Um, I do a lot of political activism, which I won't get into on your show because I know that's not the context of it. But uh, so, yeah, so that's that's what I do. I live in Michigan. So <laughs> those are the things that interest me is just really advocating. So the, my show is called It's Solid Food. And the the tagline is, you know, we discuss everything in Christian apologetics, culture and politics. So I talk a lot about politics in my show, a, a whole, whole lot. I mean, I talk about a lot. But I also, just, you know, talk about things as far as, you know, us not recognizing Genesis 1 through 11 as history is mm-hmm. a foundational issue in our society. You know, yes. and then I talk about social issues. So I talk about a lot of stuff. <laughs> you about to get her started talking about Genesis 1 through 11. <laughs> That does this whole show will turn into Genesis one through eleven. Because <laughs> well, in the beginning, when Monique and I first started talking about race issues and everything, I would often refer to Genesis one through three, especially. No, you but... wouldn't. You didn't know anything no, about that. I'm I said, lying. "How did you graduate from Biola?" And you know, she didn't know what a worldview was. And but but then, and I kept bringing up Genesis and. And the early chapters of Genesis and how all, all roads lead to that. And especially in conversations about race and dignity. And she's like, nobody thinks this way. No, nobody thinks like you. There's no people like you. And I took her to apologetics conference. She's like, oh, my goodness, there's hundreds of you. Yeah, hundreds. <laughs> and many of them were everywhere. I thought these people were so strange. Yeah. <laughs> like, why? Now, have you always been outspoken and wanting to just use your voice in like a public platform or do you feel like this is something that you kind of stumbled upon in seeing that millennials really are kind of just on the edge and on the cusp of destruction in a lot of ways well you know it's funny monique you probably would appreciate this but i actually was raised in a liberation theology church <laughs> oh girl you and cone you and cone <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so I was raised in a liberation theology church and it, and I and I was a kid, you know, but I still began to observe the world around me and said, okay, what you're telling me doesn't make sense because I grew up in this melting pot environment. Like the actual community I lived in itself, I always laugh and say my child, my neighborhood as a kid was like a G8 summit. That's the way my, my community was. So, you know, I live in this really melting pot community to go every Sunday to a liberation theology church. And it wasn't that my perp- my parents purposely sought it out. It was just a popular church in the neighborhood and the community. And that's, that's where people went, you know? But then I began to look at things around me and I'm thinking like, this doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Like we literally had, I won't get into this too much. I'm trying not to, but we literally had a, a woman who was uh, an appointee in the nineties, I will say of an elected official advocate for abortion in our pulpit. 
And I, as a kid, was like, whoa, this isn't right. And so I began to really realize that uh, I'm being lied to by a lot of adults. And not my parents. My parents are phenomenal people. So it's nothing about them. It was just, eventually we wanted to believe in the church, though, because my mother was kind of like, what? This does not make sense. So I just began to observe the world around me. And I realized that a lot of things just weren't right. And I just, so my, my act, my, outspokenness really started more so in the political arena but then later on it's, it got into apologetics and to, and then I realized that problems in society aren't necessarily political at all they aren't they aren't inherently whatsoever all of our problems stem from rebellion against God and if we as a society would as individuals would realize that our whole purpose our entire existence is about glorifying God and that extends over into how we treat one another, how we interact with our family and our peers and our love for our fellow men. And even when it comes to like telling the truth, if I realize that I have a duty to my fellow man and I see the fact that he's made the likes and image of God and I don't want him condemned to hell, I have a moral obligation to say something, you know? So after all that combined, it just caused me to just want to say more and more. And I just, now I can't shut up. <laughs> Well, I'm grateful. I am yeah. grateful. Well, I think that you're you're kind of highlighting a couple points that I want to tease out a little bit. And one of them is that I think it's important for people to understand that what you're suggesting there of our rebellion against God, that is a very foundational worldview concept. You know, that is, we don't sometimes aren't aware of our worldviews, but it's those beliefs that are rest underneath our other beliefs. And it's mm. kind of what shapes how we see the world and it shapes what we say is good and, and true and beautiful. And when you say that we are really at the end of the day, like one of our core problems, if not our core problem is that we are in rebellion against God. We decided that, that we were going to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil rather than just trusting God at his word. And maybe you can kind of expand that concept a little bit and how that ties into what you talk about when you talk about the truth. Yeah, because a lot of times when people look at society, we think that there's all these other externalities that are causing people to have pain, to have suffering. You know, no one likes to see people in pain. No one likes to pe see people in suffering. But then when we don't walk in, and obey God, we bring and we invite those problems into our lives. And one of the topics uh, as a millennial that I focus on the most is our refusal to, to honor God with our bodies. I mean, we see not just millennials, it's, it's everywhere, but I'm just saying it's, it's just like a cultural expectation in my generation to live in sexual rebellion. And that is really, really problematic because that leads to poverty. That leads, that leads to poverty. It leads to diseases. It leads to broken families, which then creates a cycle of problems in life. In, in the lives of the children, in the lives of the parents, in the lives of the community, strong families are essential for strong societies. Strong families are essential for strong communities. Everything spirals out of that. The home is the but first there again, place you are where in Genesis again. Yeah. I mean, every the, there we are again. Is you know, family is God's foundation that He chose from the beginning. That society is going to be founded on that family when we're engaging in sexual activity outside of that that context that leads to other problems 
Mm-hmm. And it and leads we, to poverty. And then you know when what children I would are say raised too, Sorry, what I would say too, just in case you don't say it, is that these aren't white values. This is this is in scripture. And mm-hmm. so we need to also remember that, you know, when when we look at things like, you know, premarital sex and babies out of wedlock and all that stuff leading into poverty, this isn't just for, you know, it's going to lead black people into poverty. No, that that is not true. This is a scriptural principle and something that God has placed into the structure and foundation of humanity and how we should participate within the larger order of society. And when we don't, it leads to things like poverty or disease for people, not just for black people. Go ahead, though. Yeah. And also think of crime. Most people who are in crime, like I, this was a while ago, and the, the the specifics of the statistics have left me at this point, but they were talking about like in California State Penitentiary, like the people who were raised in, in, in broken homes and the people who were um, victims of sexual abuse and all kinds of things. You know, I, I teach, that's actually when my, my actual job job I do, um, you know, the Christian apologetics, I'm a little bit new at this, but I'm an adjunct faculty member at a local community college. And um, I teach a class where I um, like I teach high school kids college classes and, and, and the students, you know, they, they have so many problems, not all of them, but many of my students have so many problems because of the dysfunction in their home lives, you know, but then also if we think about what about the spiritual ramifications, whenever we, you know, as a Christian, you know, when we do the wrong thing, the Holy Spirit convicts you, you feel terrible. You cannot be a Christian and live in open rebellion against God. You just cannot. The Holy Spirit will convict you. You will feel terrible. We go through cycles of sin and repentance. Like I do something wrong. I repent, which means I walk away. And then it's a big gap, but it's not like continual rebellion. So in order to live in continual rebellion, one cannot be in fellowship with God. There's no way, just think about it. There's no way a Christian can do so. Just, just I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and so with that being said, the spiritual ramifications come in. So then that's how you get these false worldviews crept into society. Because I've heard people my generation just say straight up like hey I don't want to go to church I don't want to listen to the pastor tell me I can't sleep with whom I want to sleep with that's where you get the people who say I'm not spirit I'm not religious I'm spiritual girl (laughs) let me sit up straight girl okay okay we're gonna talk about truth we're gonna be in spirit and in truth on this show ladies and gentlemen go ahead but see that's so obnoxious to our culture right now mm-hmm. and even using the word truth and hearing christina say that without saying my truth yeah without <laughs> putting the qualifier my truth in mm-hmm. front of it or this is what this means to me or this gives my life meaning christina you speak in a way that i would think would be obnoxious to our culture because you are making the powerful assertion that there are some things that are true yep. and some things that are a lie from the pit a of hell. lie, but you base that on scripture and you're pretty unapologetic about it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about it is there, there you, society cannot function with relativism. It can't, it cannot, it, you're going to get all kinds of problems. You're going to get tyrants rising to power. You, you can't, you cannot have a relevant true relativism. You can't, there has to be a fixed point of truth that we all agree upon in order for society to function. And that only truth can come from the one being who's completely perfect, not from Christina, because I'm flawed, even though I love the Lord, 
but I'm still deeply flawed because I'm a human being. So that fixed point of truth has to come from God. It has to come from a perfect source so we can have the best society possible. But the, the spiritual ramifications, because I'm seeing lots of my peers getting into witchcraft and all kinds of other things, because see, as a Christian, we have to submit ourselves to God and people don't want to do that. They want to submit themselves to their own pleasures. They're, they're hedonists. I mean, I, I, they, they are in my estimation. Most people I know, they're just complete hedonists. So, so instead, I still want my, I want my Jesus, but I don't want to listen. So in order for me to have some, a spiritual relationship or a spiritual reality, I'm just going to completely abandon the Christian faith. And I'm just going to go for one of these, uh, these new age philosophies that I can just mold into my own image and mold into my own liking, where it's pluralism. But then what's interesting about a lot of these pluralistic ideologies is they still condemn people who believe there's only one source of truth because they say there's multiple truths. But then isn't that a truth itself? That's a truth claim. So it, their worldview just really falls apart. It completely self-refutes when you start to press a little bit. So then you ultimately still get back to the point that there's one truth and that truth is Jesus Christ. So it's, hopefully we can get people to think that, you know? <laughs> but I think that- I don't have a fan present. I, well, I, I, I got to reach for the fan. I need a fan present. Well, you got to explain to her about the fan. She right? don't need to know. She ain't got no explanation needed about well, the I fan. Know. Girl, I know. Girl, you know? <laughs> You know, all we missing is the funeral home. Don't play no games, but girl, come on. White Jesus fan. Yes. <laughs> this, this, this is legit black church fan from it the is. black church it website. Is. Yes. <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah. The funeral home comment. Because that, that was so true. All you missing is the funeral home advertisement on the back of the floor. Yeah, all I'm missing is the funeral home advertisement. Like Smith and Sons, <laughs> we'll come get you. You know, I don't know. Well, we went yeah. to, Monique took me to visit a local black church and we're sitting there in church and they bring the fans by and she flips it over and she says, oh, that's the funeral home where my father was buried. Yeah. And it's like. We, I was like, whoa. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Okay. But so you're talking about, to me, what I hear you saying is that we don't catechize people. We don't, we don't like teach really people. teach people what they need to believe. And so I had a conversation just this morning, last night, this morning with somebody on Facebook where it was like, well, people, people basically want to be like the, their own gods and hedonists and like all of these things. They want to determine for themselves what is good and what see, is right. I push back on some of that a little bit because not saying that people don't, but wondering like if we actually told people straight up in the beginning before they signed up to be Christian before they sign, sign a name on the dotted line and you know the doors of the church are open and you can accept Jesus in your heart and we said look this is what you signing up for you ain't gonna be able to sleep with nobody you, that that whole going to the club getting drunk getting you a, um, a club hot dog at 2 in the morning that's not gonna work no more um, lion and club hot dog. Yeah, you, yeah, you ain't you that? ain't been to the club. Don't worry, no. you, you right. I was wrong. Okay, okay? um, you know, stealing toilet paper from your job. Like what? <laughs> like what in the world? <laughs> Sorry, I got I got a background, folks. I got a background. <laughs> I'm 
so serious. Like, if you if you don't know what you're signing up for, is it fair to call people hedonists? That might truly be the attitude of their heart. But if they don't know, if we aren't as Christians and leaders aren't clear saying, look, I know you want to join this movement. I know you felt you came to the church and we sang that one song where you got to clap and shout and stomp your hands and you felt good and your endorphins was going but before you sign your name on the dotted line, like, can we have a conversation? Because I know you like to smoke that stuff. Well, so well really, can... it's not so much about the rules and the do's and the don'ts as much as it is. What I like to say is it's about making Jesus the boss of your life. But see, that's and, the thing, though. People want to make Jesus the boss of their life in some ways, but they don't want to do what the boss has to say. And so that's yeah. where, to me, the law has to come in. The rules have to come in. It's like, yeah, you want to work here, but this is what it takes. I didn't like, like, I've loved most of the jobs that I've had, even the hard things that I've had to do. But sometimes you be like, I don't know if I want to do that part. But this is what comes with it. And so I'm like, you know, we have to get back to discipleship and mm-hmm. truly catechizing people because this hedonistic attitude is rampant. Not because, you know, I, I became a Christian and now I want to do what I want to do. That attitude of do what you want to do has always been in my heart. But we have never set people down or we rarely sit people down and be like look this is what it is the law will confront us on our sin well we don't really talk about the law in most churches we don't really we don't really hit people but how with fair God's is it, commands and i've been thinking about this like so much this morning we don't let the guests talk we, we are okay i'm sorry <laughs> we we got because well, i got a lot of questions i got stuff for you but, no, but you know, i agree with i, I agree yes. with everything you guys are saying because it's like people want to just they want to do what they want to do. The churches nowadays, see, if you look at a lot of churches, it's just about what God is going to do for me. It's not of how I can glorify God with my life. It's like people are so afraid. They don't want to do anything. They're very lazy. I want to hear how God's going to break through for me and bless me with this and solve this problem. It's just me, 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 me. It's a self-centered gospel. When you are a Christian, it's evident in your works. Works do not save us. We know that. We know that works do not save us. However, our faith is evident in our works. And that is not what's being taught to people. I agree, Monique. People are not being discipled. We have to glorify God in everything we do with our family in the public square by preaching the gospel. When I go to work, if I'm a teacher, I have to remember that my job is to glorify God. That doesn't mean I'm going to grab a mini soapbox and stand up there and tell them they're all sinners on their way to hell. However, I'm going to live out my my job as a teacher, as a believer in Jesus Christ, in everything I do, in government, in school, as an advertise agent, in, in media and entertainment, but people don't understand that. They don't understand it as a Christian. There are responsibilities. People like the savior part, but they don't like the Lord part. The yeah. savior part, oh yeah, Jesus saved my soul. Like one story, which I will, I will, I will spare you some of the details, but make a long story short. I was sitting with a group of one, women and one of the women told like this extremely salacious story about herself. And it was just like, what? And then after she told the story about herself, she started talking about how she had a prayer closet and how she had a prayer closet. And, I, and I'm just, and this is before I had made any, and this was at the time in my life where I was still walking in rebellion, but I still had enough sense to go like what like you just told us this really horrible story and then like a minute later you're talking about your prayer closet and how you love Jesus and I'm like uh you don't see anything wrong with that (laughs) you know and I didn't know her to 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 that level to say anything but my face said it all and that's the problem people feel like 
you know, it's, we've taken, and I, and I mentioned like Romans 6, 1, you know, we've just taken God's grace is like, it's a license to do whatever I want to do. And if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, you understand that works are important. It's not that works save us, but works evidence our faith. And that's what people don't understand. Yeah, I think that's a good word. And and I think that what we're seeing in the culture is, and this is seeping into the church, is you, you are defining truth as being rooted and grounded in God and his character and that he's the boss and he he sets things up. He makes the rules, but then our culture is telling us, well, truth can vary from person to person. And what's really authentic are my emotions, how I feel about something. And that is coming into the church. And then it's like, well, now it's, it's people, we get the letters all the time. People are very afraid to say anything. You know, they're in the women's Bible study and and like in the situation you're talking about, and they hear somebody saying like something really off or, you know, that their life is really incongruent with their faith. And they're like, well, I can't say anything. I, I can't, I can't speak up. And there's, there's so much fear out there of, of even how to do that. Because really now we're having two worldviews yeah. competing and it's not just well, one worldview is in the culture and one's in the church. No, it's in the church too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that goes back to Monique's point of discipleship. It's just because people aren't being properly discipled. They don't, un- they, see, they see being a Christian as a get out of hell free card. That's the way they see it. They see God as a fireproof blanket who's there to make me happy as I go through this life. And, and people have to be courageous. You know, you, you have a lot of Christians who, I think the danger in America is comfort. We are so comfortable. We are, we live such a comfortable life. I remember watching a video and this is maybe like a month ago. I forget which country I wouldn't try to say, cause I would be lying. Cause I completely forget, but it was like in around India. It wasn't India, but it was in that area. And Christians were treated so terribly that they had to clean out sewers. They had to clean out sewers. This man, he just said, Hey, if me, if he would renounce the Lord, then he wouldn't have to continue to do that. He literally had to go and clean sewers by hand. That is horrible. That is horrible. And so you look at Christians in other parts of the world and what they're willing to sacrifice to glorify God in everything they do. And we won't even risk being laughed at. Mm-hmm. It is shameful. It is, it is absolutely embarrassing. You know, people are, afraid, you know, okay, I lose my job. I understand there's, you can, I understand you want to be savvy and practical. And I understand that, you know, I'm not, again, I, I'm not going to go somewhere and just stand on a soapbox, you know, if it's not going to, in the end, serve God's purpose. Cause sometimes and I understand the time and the place, but when you know something is wrong, you have an obligation to speak up. You do. You know, I think about one of my classmates at Biola, he wound up losing his job because they wanted him to participate in some kind of training that was this was contrary to scripture. And he just said, hey, I'm going to have to quit. Most people aren't willing to do that. They won't even tolerate us being ostracized when yeah. their first century church was willing to die to glorify God. I mean, it's we really need to be ashamed of ourselves, to be quite frank. Wow. I mean, I think what you're saying just is is the crux of cancel culture. You know, like, yeah, it starts out with, well, they laughed at me or, you know, I got kicked out of the women's auxiliary committee or um, I can't sing. We had somebody write in and said that they they got kicked off the worship team because they basically got canceled because they weren't um, a minority. 
You know, and wow. they, but then it escalates from there. They just they just they, stop putting them on the schedule. Yeah, they didn't. They, they told them we need more racial diversity. diversity on the worship team, so they stopped scheduling the white person. Yeah, so basically, <laughs> you got canceled from the worship team. You know, and then it moves into things like being fired or you know asked not to come back to your church or you know if if you guys have competing worldviews at your church. All the way to things like, you know, being in other countries where Christians are truly persecuted. I don't think that the American church truly gets. I think we, we might be waking up to some things. But, mm-hmm. you know, that true understanding of what persecution is, like the Egyptians or the, the Coptic church that has been persecuted for, what, the last 1,200 years? Something yeah. like that. Like, they live under constant persecution. Um, how do you think that... Christians today, in light of like the minimal persecution that we're seeing, I don't even know that it's fair to call it like quote unquote persecution, but how do we find our voice to, to, or our courage to stand for biblical truth? I think it starts with the leadership in churches. That's where it starts because the pastor's job is to be a pastor, is to shepherd his flock. And and the pastors have a responsibility to remind their flock that you have an obligation to represent God and society and every aspect of society where, no matter where it is, that's the problem. And again, it's the self-serving gospel. Now for us who realize these problems and for us who want to do something better, we have to go out and if you're at work, you have to be willing to speak the truth. If you are like, hey, one of the problems I had, I'll give you a perfect example. So where I live at, um, I'm a mom and where I live at, I was on the sex education school board. So um, it's the the sex education board for the school board. So basically in the state of Michigan, you have to have a comprised group of like parents, teachers, you have to have a clergy member and, and, oh my God, if you could have read the clergy members LinkedIn, Lord have mercy. Oh my God. I'm going to go there. I was like, what? Like <laughs> clergy. Oh, okay. <laughs> but cause she didn't hurt her, they hurt basically her sentence from her understanding of theology school was something about sexual liberation. I'm like, if that's what you took away from theology school, Lord, that place needs to be closed down. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, so I'm sitting on this, this board and they were advocating for things that went against scripture. But here's the problem. It, it was not relevant to what we need to be teaching the children. What we need to teach the children were simply, hey, if someone touched you where your underclothes are, you need to tell a trusted adult. You know, encouraging kids not to have sex because of teenage pregnancies and STDs and what have you and what have you. No, they were advocating for things that completely went against scripture. They were advocating for things that were completely unnatural and had absolutely nothing to do with the purpose of the sex education program. In addition to the fact it was teaching children to rebel against the knowledge of God. Now, I, as a parent, could have sat there and said nothing, or I could do what I did and wrote them a bunch of letters that were probably, the letters probably seem really crazy if you read them, but they made a point because I said, well, if we're going to be teaching kids that they can be whatever gender they want, why don't we teach them this and this and this and that? And it was a bunch of other really crazy things. But my point was, is that, hey, this is completely out of line. Why are you trying to teach this to children? And I had to put some skin on the line. I had to risk being laughed at. I had to risk people not accepting me. I had to risk all those things, but it was worth it to speak up for our children. And that's, that's my point is that people are going to have to do things that make them very uncomfortable. It wasn't comfortable to do it it's not like I found joy in doing it but I had to say something and so like the person you mentioned when she's in her women's auxiliary club and you hear someone advocating for things or doing things that are unbiblical you have to say something 
We just have to not care what the world thinks. If we cared much, and then like even in the talk I gave um, for the Women in Apologetics um, Conference, when I mentioned when, when Jesus tells us in Matthew that you have to fear him who can destroy the body and soul and she old, that's who you're to be afraid of. You're not to be, you're to be afraid of the one who destroyed the body and soul and hell, not of a human being. So if we actually feared God more than we feared our fellow man, then, then people wouldn't have so much issue with speaking the truth and standing up for Christ in everything that we do. I think that that hits though on the very thing is that often we are more afraid of humans who can only kill us in the body and we allow that to kind of capture our thinking and we make the wrong goal. Like the goal becomes based on many of the letters that we receive. The goal is I don't want to upset anybody and I don't want to have a hard conversation. That's not the right goal. Mm-hmm. No, where, and, where, <clears throat> maybe you guys can tell me in scripture where Jesus said I came to divide. <laughs> we have this image of Jesus as though he just came to bring everybody together. That is not biblical. That is not biblical. He came to gather his, his church, you know? And, and so that's going to cause division. The, the gospel is going to be offensive. I mean. Yeah. And it's, it's about dividing on the right things. And mm-hmm. I think that that is sometimes the tricky part of it is knowing, you know, how to even divide the body Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean there by divide is discern, like, you know, who's, who's in the body of Christ and, and separating ourselves out from the world because, um, God didn't come to bring peace in that sense mm-hmm. of just no conflict. Everybody gets along with whether you're a Christian or in, in the church or outside the church. But I think what you also show me in your example there of, of serving on that board is that you're involved. Like you're not just on the sidelines. You're, you're trying to serve in a meaningful way and have a strategic voice on a strategic issue. And then you're willing to take the risk of being laughed at by taking tangible steps. Um, and I think that's really important but no, there isn't always a satisfying result. I've been in a situation for the last seven, eight months now of speaking into a particular system <laughs> group and trying to make a difference and writing letters and speaking up and taking my time to have all these conversations with people at high levels to try to persuade and convince them this isn't the right way. Please stop white shaming uh, the people in your business. Please stop this. And it's not making a difference. It's, it's not really helping. But that also can't be the goal of, oh, I'm only going to do this if mm-hmm. it changes things. Sometimes you speak up and it doesn't change anything. I think you're right, Krista. The goal is to glorify God. The goal is to be obedient to God. The goal isn't necessary being victorious in the the exact endeavor that I'm thinking of. The goal is, am I obeying God in what I am doing? And that should be our focus and concern because you're right. I was not successful in my endeavors. I was talking to a brick wall, 
but I did it anyway. And then also too, when we speak up, we give other people the encourage, encourage to speak up because humans rub off on each other. And sometimes when we speak up, we say to other people, other people will think, well, what am I doing? You know? And I've had that happen to me when I see someone else being bold in a certain area. I say, Ooh, wow. What am I doing? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we encourage others. Yeah. yeah. I would also say that, um, even in speaking truth, even if people don't listen, they can't say they never heard. They can't say, oh, wow, well, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. This just all, this snuck up on me. All, every church we didn't heard from almost. How did this just sneak up on me? Well, <laughs> now, now you know. So things shouldn't be sneaking up on you. Or we just can't use the claim, I didn't know. You know, uh, and and especially those who may not oppose a Christian worldview, that that won't be an excuse in the long run of, well, I didn't know. Nobody told me. So even if things aren't changed, we are at least speaking truth. But you have to think about where God has strategically and supernaturally placed you. Like we get the letters too of people like, well, can you talk to my pastor? Can you come to your church? Can you come talk to this entity? And it's like, no, Mm. we can't. That's not where God's planted me. Mm -mm. You need to find some courage. You need to be in a risk. Um, And I think that that's really important because if God has strategically and supernaturally placed you in that situation, you know, go bloom where you're planted. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, one of the things that that you say a lot is that God, that God doesn't give you courage and that courage is and you can probably speak. I might no. I might have just butchered that. Um, and that courage is a trait of an unbeliever. Well, that, that cowardice is a trait. Coward, of, yes. Yeah. So that's say courage. Yeah. Sorry about that. Y'all. Don't, I didn't don't mean do it. that. I didn't mean it. Don't do that. So the uh, two classes apologetics. What I, what I also what I often hear people say is God, please give me courage. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's the right prayer, and I wouldn't die for this. But this is just sort of a try this on because classically in in the study of ethics, courage is something that is built into our soul. It's like working out. If I want to have muscles, I don't say, Jesus, please give me the muscles. You know, I have to like go lift some weights and 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 that sort of thing to build those muscles. I think courage, my theory is that courage is kind of like that, but I do find it interesting in the book of revelation, how being a coward is a, a descriptor of people who are not a part of the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying that, you know, I don't struggle sometimes with lacking courage, but then that has to be a conversation for me and the Lord to explore. Okay. What's going on here. I'm getting really gripped by fear. And then I don't think Mm -hmm. that's from you. So how can we work that through? I don't know, Christina, if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting point that the the opposite of cowardness and, 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 Cowardness and courage aren't necessarily like one, uh, one void of one necessarily equates the other, because like you mentioned, sometimes we do stuff scared. Yeah. There's Mm -hmm. been times where God had put something on my heart to like, we had a situation in Michigan where um, a city outside of me, they had the drag queen story hour. And you're talking about preschoolers. I mean, preschoolers and you know, God put it on my heart. Hey, go up there and say something. And I was terrified. I'm not going to lie to you because I'm heckler, people waving signs, scowling faces. But I had to say something because these are children. What does Luke 17, 2 tell us, right? We learn about that, that, that you know what? Kids are, kids are being indoctrinated 
to rebel against God. You know, we've always, in society, we've always had people do things that are not according to God's plan for us as human beings. But now we're entering into a point in our society where small children are being taken and being trained to live in continuous rebellion. And rebellion and, against and, their parents, yes. which mm-hmm. is also part of being re- in rebellion against against God. I, I see that as being one of the agenda items of the secular social justice enterprise yes. is to program children from a younger and younger mm-hmm. age to rebel against their parents. Yeah, that's part of it. Cause it's, it's, it, and, and, and like I said, I don't always want to necessarily get political, but because the meeting I was at was for like a County commissioner's meeting, because what happened with these secular progressives do is they get in positions in government. I am so sorry if this, <laughs> they get in positions of government. And then they legislate their morality on everybody else. So it's not like these people just have their beliefs and live their life. That's not what's going on. These people actually walk into places of government and demand that everybody conforms to them. And then they want to use the federal government to, or the state government to penalize people for not submitting to their will. And that's because we don't have enough Christians in positions of government. And that's but where then, I go back to But those to same point. people will say... Christians shouldn't legislate morality. Mm-hmm. And know? they do it all the time. And that's why I go back to the pastors. Christians have to realize that we have to represent God and government and society. I mean, living yes. in America is a blessing. It is. I mean, we live in a free country. We can have, you guys have this show. Every country in the world, you can't do this. You know, so we have a freedom and we have an obligation to maintain that we have to have godly people in positions of authority. You think of in Proverbs where it says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. And when the wicked are in authority, the people moan because the wicked bring tyranny because they have a, a relativistic morality that I can change on my whims. I can change on my beliefs. I can change on what's beneficial. I mean, we never thought 10 years ago we would be debating about whether or not boys should be able to play in girls sports. I mean, it's just the stupidest thing in the world. It's completely crazy. But because they have this shifting morality, it, it's just crazy. It's like that. All it's, it's sometimes it's like a moving target, but it's really secular progressivism. It's, it's an extremely dangerous ideology because that's where they get the critical race theory and the social justice movement where justice is now a dirty word. I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> I, I know that's such an oh, oversim- oversimplified word to describe what's going on, but I mean. It's, I, it's, I think it's, though that that highlights the worldview difference is that one worldview comes in and says, we're going to legislate our morality but we're forbidding you from legislating Yours. your morality. You shouldn't do that. You know, uh, the new Supreme Court justice who's known for being a Catholic. We don't want to have a Catholic on the, you know, what if she tries to legislate her morality as if the secular progressives aren't already doing that? Mm-hmm. And people don't, it doesn't click. We get these letters all the time. Well, how do I answer this about, about you know, Christians shouldn't legislate their morality but it's all morality. It just depends it on if it's on whose morality, whose side of morality you're standing yeah, on. Yeah, what what's the standard here? And because, that's why Christians have to have courage. You're right about the courage. Because sometimes we're not going to have the courage. We have to have faith in God and just be obedient to Him, even when we're scared. Exactly. We're and see, to me, I, like- I don't see scared as the same thing as cowardice. Yes. Mm-hmm. To me, I can be scared and nervous, but. Courage is what I do when I do it anyways, because that's what God calls me to. And Mm -hmm. that, but I can't like get a supernatural infusion of courage all the time and wait for that. Like sometimes I just have to be in the risk and have the faith in God that he's going to meet me in that risk because he's told me 
to to step up and say something. And I think too, as as Christians, we just have to explain that the reason we're doing, we have to two things. We have to be walk and say in a loving way. But being loving doesn't mean we hide from the truth because our ultimate goal is to spread the gospel. The Great Commission is our. Our one is to glorify God in everything we do as far as how we live our lives and be obedient to him, but also in how we w- deal with other people outside of our immediate family. And so part of the Great Commission is not allowing the government to come in and train children against the knowledge of God. That's part of it because we're just making our jobs harder. <laughs> and then we wonder why many kids are walking away from the faith because they spend six hours a day being taught that they evolved from a monkey. Well, I, mean, I think that, that <laughs> that's such <laughs> an important point because people miss that. That's good. part of the verse in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. They don't read verse 20 of, you know, t- teach the nations to obey all of my commands. Well, what are those commands? That's the law. That's the scripture mm-hmm. and to obey God's ways. So part of the Great Commission is, yes, get them saved, get them baptized, get them regenerated, and also to instruct instruct people on how to live. But we're not we're not we're not doing that. Mm-mm. So imagine if we had Pat's me and there don't get me wrong. There's fantastic pastors. But I'm just saying, what if we had more people like Charles Spurgeon, right, who were running the churches of America today? I mean, Charles Spurgeon, I read a quote somewhere that was attributed to him this where he said he wouldn't even sit next to a slaver. He wouldn't even sit next to a person who felt they had the right to own another person. And I'm not saying that I necessarily say, if you're not a Christian, I'm not gonna sit next to you. So let someone will take my comments out of context. What I'm trying to say is that he was so dogmatic about some things are just not okay. And I'm going to speak up. And I'm going to tell my flock that this wasn't okay. When I was reading about uh, uh, this, uh, this podcast, uh, I listened to Abraham Hamilton, and he was uh, talking about Frederick Engels, who uh, co-wrote the Communist Manifesto with Karl Marx. And when asked who he hated the most, at first, he, I thought he was going to say Jesus. No, he said Charles Spurgeon. He couldn't stand them because the reason why they're coming, because if people don't understand what communists, they, these people, it's atheistic. If you read the Communist Manifesto, they're, they're atheists. Yeah. And he couldn't stand Charles Spurgeon because his preaching prevented communism from spreading in England. So if we had more pastors who were telling the flock, you have to represent God at work. You have to represent God in society. You have to represent God in government. Mm -hmm. I mean, how is it that we don't have a whole lot of Christian singers and artists to me who are going out to the masses as they should? We don't have enough. We have a a lot, but we don't have enough who once they get their fame, they're still standing firm on the gospel. They waver to compromise with the culture. We don't, our, our churches are not admonishing the flock enough about our duties in society. People are, it's just too much. Jesus loves you and he's going to make you feel better. That That's just, that's not the gospel. But on the other <laughs> end, I think that there is, and we see these comments too on our social media of what this, what I call the be a jerk for Jesus syndrome mm. of, you know, like, yeah, you can speak the truth and uh, you can, I like to say, speak truth to error, mm-hmm. not speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that we want to speak truth to error, but you don't always have to do it in a, you know, a, a very kind of bullying way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a way of doing it and you can bring facts, you can, you can bring data, you, and you can, you can even say like, you know, hey, this is, the the long held Judeo Christian ethic that we have gone by for thousands of years that has helped 
put us in good stead in many ways. Why are we undermining that? Like there are good arguments that can be made. That's why apologetics is there. But but I think that sometimes I see this kind of well, I can yes, the gospel's offense is an offense. So I can just that gives me like a a permission slip to be a jerk for Jesus. That's that's not helpful. It's not, but there's also like this fine balance, I feel like, because because cultures redefine love and tolerance and all those kind of things. So now if I say anything, well, that's not loving. Well, actually, let me go ahead and let you know, because I do love you, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's not that I want to be a jerk for Jesus. I just really care for your soul. And and there is truth to this. But see, what happens is that there's a recategorization of what truth is. Mm. And so now truth is really hate speech. Scripture is hate speech. And so if I participate in in something as loving as sharing the fact that Jesus died for your sins and that you can reconcile your heart to a holy God, I am now participating in something that is going to soon be considered legal hate speech, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it is going and it is seen as unloving, judgmental, oppressive, all of these things. And so when people are like, you know, well, well, we need to speak the truth in love. Well, what are you saying? Are you saying that we need to water it down so much that I don't really tell you the truth that you living in sin is never going to get you reconciled to the father? Or am I able to speak truth, the truth of scripture, not my truth, but the truth of scripture and understand that that is a loving act. Now, I'm not saying we all need to be jerks for Jesus. Now, many people will say I am a jerk for Jesus, but you know, <laughs> you can only keep that to yourself or tell me what I'm, whatever you want to do. But, you know, <laughs> I don't, I don't agree. I mean, I agree with you. We don't need to be jerks for Jesus. And yet we have to also make sure that in being bold and courageous, we are not cowering, cowering back so far to uphold this truth and love mentality mm. that we are not wanting to truly speak truth to error. Yeah, no, that's good. I think, I think it's situational too. Mm-hmm. So like if I'm in an interpersonal situation where I'm talking to somebody, some of the, the edge comes off. Big time, because I'm having a personal conversation with someone and I'm in a per- I'm, and in that moment, my goal is to witness to them. However, in some contexts I've been in where it's more like public and you're dealing with a hostile audience, I'm still I'm not going to like behave in an ungodly manner. But I, I'm 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 drawing on on Elijah a little bit. I'm gonna pull up. And when you guys were talking to the about Elijah, Elijah is my favorite prophet. <laughs> Why? I mean, all of them were bold. Don't get me wrong. But just something about Elijah, he just is like, this is what it is, and I'm gonna tell you that you're wicked, and I'm gonna tell you you're wrong, and in fact, I'm gonna laugh at you. That's like what about verses in scripture because I think sometimes like again when you're dealing with interpersonal situations it's a lot different but when you're dealing with a group of people who want to compel you to participate in their behavior and and children I mean this is wicked mm-hmm. this is wickedness and, and and if we start seeing it as just sure unbridled wickedness as it is I remember it was a, in, in, in the public square that I think we have to be we have to be aggressive I don't think there's nothing wrong with being aggressive nothing wrong with it again again it it depends on the situation again if I'm talking to a person or a couple of people in an informal setting and we're just talking absolutely I'm going to be way more genteel way less edge on my voice but if I'm in a public setting 
where I'm told like it was a particular situation where someone was being confirmed for a specific position in the government and a particular senator said to this person because they believed in the exclusivity of Christ. And, it's, it, and there's some areas we can see it more with certain legislation. We can see, especially uh, when dealing with human sexuality, we can really see that one. Um, but there, that isn't the only area. There is a whole group of people who feel like, hey, if you believe in the exclusivity of Christ, you're hateful. And mm -hmm. so in that context, we, we have to push back and we have to be forceful and not, un, but not ungodly, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's just, that's where it comes to leaning on God for the wisdom of when, of how to respond to that situation, because I'm not going to know. So I have to lean on God to show me, Hey, how do you want me to respond in this context? You know, that's, that's good. That is, that's real. Cause I'm a Peter. Girl, I'll <laughs> cut your ear off in a minute. I ain't even going to lie. Like I know it's, I know it's bad. Pray for me. <laughs> But yeah, Peter, I, don't, hey, hey, we, we just need like an uh, assortment of ears because um, I might take yours. That's wrong. But you know, she, she's working it out. People. Work in progress. Yeah. You know. All right. All right. Well, I want to tell people again, Christina, how they can get connected with you and check out your podcast. I think yeah. Bob's got it here. We have It's Solid Food. It's the podcast. And then you can find Christina on YouTube at the Christina Caramo Project. Um, you can find her on Instagram at Christina the Great. So K-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-T-H-E-G-R and the number eight. You guys, please follow Christina. She is awesome. If you need a boost in your spirit of should I say this or should I, you know, take the back row, go on and follow Christina and listen to her. She will put you on the right path. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I I, I really, really appreciate it. I, I've had a, a good time. You guys are so fun. You oh, are good. so fun. The, you guys are, the next time I come to California, I hope to see you all. But, you know, California is on shutdown. So <laughs> Yeah, we know. Yeah, yeah we, don't remind us. <laughs> but no we would we would love to meet you i'll yeah. be in michigan soon so yeah you know hit you up but thank you so much yes. for being here and for sharing thank the you. wisdom and encouraging us really to push back against cancel culture push back against the things that people are saying you know well that's not truth um and yeah. to be bold in speaking truth yeah very good thank you so much thank you have a wonderful day bye. Bye. you too bye, bye. Okay, that was good. That was good. Yeah. Oh, yay. I'm so that glad that she came on. Yeah, that was fun. Yay, 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 yay. All okay. right. So um, we're taking turns. Yes. So I had the tweet. It's of a the whole little new format we're doing. So I had the tweet of the week, la tweet of the week last week. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to have your. Mo's moment. Mo's moment. We got to get Bob to get you a fancy. I know. It's like. Fancy intro. All right. Mo's moment. All okay. right. So what caught your attention this week? This week, my uncle, Dr. Pat Sawyer, wrote the first of three entries in Christianity today. And it is called, What is CRT and Should We Be Concerned? So it's a series of articles he's doing. It's a oh, okay. series of three that he's doing. And he really breaks down critical race theory in nuanced pieces so that people oh. can accurately understand what this framework is and what are the pieces that aren't necessarily things we should adopt, but things that have a little bit more validity yeah. to them. And he, I know he's going to end. So I've, I've had conversations. I know he's going to end with, you know, what are the things that Christians can adopt and why are the two, um, 
you know, not compatible. I think what I really appreciated about the article, there's two things. One is he had a long list toward the end of kind of line by line major pillars of critical race theory. And I would call this article maybe a semi-technical article. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not broken down in 800 words for lay people, but it's more for the interested lay person who, um, you know, but it, 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 he had some very helpful summaries in there, highly nuanced. And that kind of brings me to the second point that I liked about the article. It was his admonition at the beginning about not kind of committing slander against people mm-hmm. about what they believe on critical race theory. When, if you're going to talk about it, be accurate. Yes. Um, know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Don't engage in what we call in logic straw man fallacies yeah. of of only giving half truths mm-hmm. or partial truths of what critical race theory is about. I would also say when we want to engage with people who are upholding critical race theory and we want to win them over, we need to clearly understand what is their position. I can't say, hey, you know, this is the place or these are the places where this framework airs or, you know, completely goes off the the rails in regards to looking or in regards to being compared with Christianity if I don't really know what it's saying. Yeah, I think that's so important because a lot of what I see on social media is a, a lot of comments that are, very well-meaning Christians who want to come against critical race theory and the errors of it, but they don't do it in a nuanced way. And so it doesn't lend credibility to their position. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for them to get a hearing from people who are more CRT adjacent or sympathetic Mm -hmm. because it sounds like they haven't really done their homework. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, there's a concept that my friend uh, Ken samples talks a lot about He calls it the golden rule of apologetics. Mm. Um, It's a very helpful concept of when you're engaging in a conversation with somebody you disagree with, you always want to really be vigilant about representing the other person's position as accurately as you can. You want to present it so accurately that when they hear it back, they say, yes, that's what I believe. Mm -hmm. You have understood me. Yes. That's when you know that you are going to, potentially make more meaningful progress with that person. That was a tactic I used with you very early on is let me see if I understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Is this an accurate summary of your position? Mm -hmm. That was an opportunity then for you to say yes, or partly except for this Mm -hmm. part. And that's a way of truly loving your neighbors is God's law of not committing slander. Yeah. So that is a is a call for all of us to it be is. vigilant. I think I would add too, though, that when you understand your neighbor's position, there may be, and I actually think that there are places where I can sympathize with someone who upholds critical race theory, like um, looking at the poor, looking at people who are truly marginalized. This is a place of overlap, looking at the image bearer of God and saying image bearers should not be treated in this way, whatever that 
that way is that is is um, against scripture and against the laws of God. These are places where I can sympathize and say, yeah, you know what? I completely agree with you, but we can't do that if I just look at CRT and says, well, CRT is completely whole, like just a holy bad and I'm not going to address anything or anyone who upholds CRT. Do I do I personally think that CRT is antithetical? Yes, I do. But I also want to be able to have educated conversations with people who may uphold this framework so that I can also speak life and light into the, the space that they're standing in. I think the way that I would say it is that um, I don't see critical race theory as a framework as necessary mm-hmm. to identify the critical problems. I think I can get that framework from scripture, but then there's places where I can look at it and say, you know, this idea that you have in critical race theory, there is overlap with my worldview as a Christian. So we could share that common value or that belief, or my worldview goes farther, or my worldview defines marginalized people this way. And I can draw distinctives between the two frameworks. That doesn't mean that I start with critical race theory and then I go try to cherry pick some Bible verses mm-hmm. to to justify it. No, I start with scripture and I look in scripture for my framework, but then I can go out and I can notice, oh, here's some things where this this intersects. Yeah. So But I think that, you know, in order for us to do that, Christians have to be in the public spaces like we also have to be in cultures kind of like what christina was saying we need to have our voice and our impact here in other spaces as well not just in the church not just with our little small groups but i can tell you if if there is oppression injustice and marginalization based on what scripture tells me is right and wrong good true and beautiful and so when we study those things and when we are aware and exegete our community, we can actually do those things. I wouldn't need a secular humanist framework to be able to tell me that. Yeah, that's good. So go check out Pat Sawyer's article in Christianity Today. It's on our Facebook page. Yes. And watch for parts two and three. I'm going to be eager to see what he does there. Yes. Oh, hey, you finished up your um, your series this week. So last week on our show, we talked about, we talked with Rihanna Sanford. Yes. And I just want to give a highlight because I want people to go back and see your part two. So we had Rihanna Sanford on. She is the mother of a child with severe disabilities. Yeah. And you this week interviewed your aunt and uncle. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Okay, who, making sure. Yeah, my cousin uh, is... Uh, has some pretty significant physical and developmental challenges. And so we talked about their story and it was great watching um, those interviews side by side because each family brought different information. And so I hope people will catch both of those recordings, both of the interviews, as well as the teaching that I did the previous week, kind of laying out the theological framework of how do we think about disabilities from a Christian worldview standpoint. Yes. Go check that Make out. Make sure to watch it. All right. It is now time for us to say goodbye. All we right. shall see you again. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts 
when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.